It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Speed it up and I have got no seats. The ladder from the ladder with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the city of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the security to get down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the Hour of Doom. So say many... Democrats. Protesters. And protesters, <laughs> yes. And bloom for all those who voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a Trumptastic time in a truly terrifying world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 900 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. Yes, you are. <laughs> Sitting in my own little world, wandering around while yes. you were saying those things. Wandering around the vast <laughs> wasteland. Yes. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostess, I might add. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster we are the dynamic duo. We are the perfect pair, the courageous couple, the gang of two. <laughs> and we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a lascivious llama? Well, that's your story? Hmm. Haven't we all? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and her Sammy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical, medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when modern and standard medical care isn't at hand, you better know what to do in medical emergencies. Get some supplies, as a matter of fact, maybe even from the beautiful Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled <laughs> medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Well, I just want to say to the folks out there, if I sound a little funny, it's because the bird, yes, the bird, TD. Our African gray. Bit me on the lip. <laughs> and not lightly. Almost tore my lip off. So I have a nice little, 
you're calling it a J-looking scab, scab on the outside. And if so, that would be awesome. It would be like a <laughs> a piercing that you a had tattoo. in the shape of a J for Joe, oh Joe gosh. Alton. And I'll tell you, that bird really knows uh, his how to put that. I mean, it looks it just looks like horrible. a J. I know. And I it have... was terrible. And by the way, it just goes to show, like I like we mentioned with bears a little while ago, <sighs> don't approach a wild animal. The and... bird has known me for 20 years. And it gave me two kisses. Two and kisses. And silly me, trusting the bird. Yes, for 20 years I've been going, give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. And instead of... You know, putting the beak next to my lip, it actually grabbed a hold. I have a hole inside my mouth and whatever the heck you call this thing on the outside. And tell them how you had to stop my bleeding, which yes, you had to use. Yes, with a little bit of Celox. It was, well, the as you know, the face is a very vascular area and it bleeds an awful lot. That's why you see so much blood in during these professional wrestling matches. Oh, there was and blood like everywhere. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Not everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it was pouring out. So actually, the, it was pretty hard to stop. Yes, it was a little. It was, it was a little bit hard to stop. It took a while. Now I will have to. The bird just said, "Aw." Yeah, aw. I'll give you aw, bird. <laughs> well, listen. I just want to say that yes. it just goes to show: never try to kiss somebody that doesn't have any lips. <laughs> That's the, that's the cue. You're right. Don't kiss something with a beak unless you're the mate. And unfortunately, I'm not the mate. I'm just the entertainment. Well, you know, I was just mentioning, <laughs> I, I was just mentioning uh, the importance of getting medical supplies. I even mentioned your awesome store, mm-hmm. which uh, is Doom and Bloom, the store.doomandbloom.net, but also, yes, also <clears throat> a. We're go, we go under AltonFirstAid.com. Yeah, you can do AltonFirstAid.com, which is actually easier. Yeah, it's easier to remember. to remember. It will direct you to store.doomandbloom.net. But if you say, oh, well, what was that store that Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy have? AltonFirstAid.com. That's right. We'll get you there. I wanted to talk a little bit about medications. You should also have medications as well as general medical supplies, such as bandages and things like that. And I wanted to talk about how to store your medications. This okay. is something that's important. I wrote an article about it recently. I wanted to talk about it today. Now, you know, being prepared for disasters means storing food, of course, and storing means of defending yourself. And that is up to you what that it means. But it also means putting together a stockpile of supplies and bandages and instruments well, they may keep acceptably in a variety of environments, but medications, that's really sort of another story. Yeah, uh, medicines are stored in such a way as mm-hmm. to improve or, or prolong their potency. And how you store your medicines can certainly affect how potent they are or how effective they are over time. So to maintain the effectiveness of the drugs, there are several factors that deserve your attention. And one of those factors is heat. Most medications are meant to be stored, believe it or not, at room temperature. You hear about everybody freezing their medicines and refrigerating them. But truly, most medicines really do just fine at room temperature. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. Insulin, uh, liquids in general, antibiotic elixirs like the pink amoxicillin elixir kids get, those are an exception. They should be stored in the refrigerator. And a good rule of thumb is that unless the bottle contains labeling that says otherwise... 
it's probably unnecessary, in some cases maybe harmful, to freeze or otherwise diverge from whatever the advice is given by the manufacturer. Now, I have something to say about that, but I'm going to say that in just a few minutes. Uh, excessive heat is another factor in losing drug potency. Excessive heat. There's freezing and then there's excessive heat. Now, if you were given the choice, if I was given the choice, I would probably say cooler is better than hotter. So if you had your choice of storing something at 90 degrees or something at 50 degrees, well, I think that the effectiveness would remain twice as long if you store it in slightly cooler temperatures, not below freezing necessarily, but slightly cooler temperatures than if you stored it in very hot temperatures like you might find in your car in the summer. Um, Moisture is another big thing. Most folks store medications in the bathroom medicine cabinet, but you might be surprised to know that the moisture from showers and baths and even sinks can degrade the drug significantly. So instead, I would recommend considering a high shelf somewhere in a closet or having a dedicated storage box, not in a humid room, a room that, in which there's a lot of water flowing, that, I think, would make a lot of sense. Now, light is also very important. Much like excessive exposure to the sun can damage skin, light sometimes can have an ill effect on certain drugs. Now, the drugs that are affected by this are commonly stored either in opaque containers or in brownish-colored containers, amber-colored or, or even dark brown-colored bottles. Now... <clears throat> I would recommend that you keep all of your medicines in their original containers. Now, it's a good idea, I think, however, to remove the cotton ball that's commonly placed with the drug because it can, especially once you have opened the medicine and the medicine bottle and taken off the, the top, the lid, uh-huh. I think that it, that cotton ball could actually pull moisture from the air into the container. And so, and so think, when you put the top back on it, now you've got a, right. a cotton ball with a little bit of moisture on it. Exactly. Now, the cotton ball will, will, before you actually open the container for the first time, it holds the medicine in place so they don't rattle around and chip. And, and shake and, and, right. and, yeah, and Shake, rattle, and roll. Out. There you go. Well, especially capsules, because capsules can come apart. Right. So you don't want them moving around so much. So it's just a spacer. That's what the cotton's in there. Right. Just to hold the extra space. Exactly, exactly. So so that's it. Also, pills, sometimes if they're coated, that coating can be chipped by rattling against each other if, mm-hmm. if that cotton ball wasn't holding the medicines pretty much in place. Right. So the, the key here is remove the cotton, put the top back on it, but then don't start jarring the medicines and shaking them all about. And, is, isn't there right. a song, the little, <laughs> little kids? <laughs> the little kid yeah. song. Do the hokey you pokey, pokey and, and you shake it and all don't, around. And don't shake your medicines all, all about. <laughs> that's, that's what it's, it's all, all about. about. <laughs> so so that's, good. that's important, I think. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people think about moving medicine into uh, vacuum pack containers and things. I'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to talk a little bit. I'll talk about that in just a second. Mm-hmm. I want to say that many times it's hard to tell if a drug has been affected negatively over time, if it's lost its potency, but there are some times when it's pretty aspirin. Now, I'm pretty aspirin, pretty <laughs> obvious. Obvious. I'm going to talk about aspirin. Yes. Now, aspirin pills, for example, could develop uh, a smell that reminds me of vinegar, 
even before the expiration date if you mm-hmm. don't store them correctly. And so that's important. Now, besides smell, there's a change of color or consistency. That could indicate that a medicine has degraded. For example, if pills have become somewhat vaguely softer or if capsules have become much harder, mm-hmm. that may be a sign that they have Something's degraded somewhat. And right, and some may have gotten to it. Some light may have gotten into to it. Some excessive heat, maybe some moisture. I mean, if it's too, if it's softer, obviously there might be more moisture. If they're if they're harder, the outside of capsules, it might be because it was subjected to a lot of heat and it's sort of hardened up. Um, exactly. But but I do want to clarify that the word degraded does not mean turn to poison. Right. I, I, could you just hit on that for just a second? Yes, I mean, the truth of the matter is... that's is a, that, a really big question that we get a lot. Now, I've said about expired medicines, most expired pills and capsules that have been stored properly, once they expire, you and, you, and you, if you took them, you probably wouldn't grow a horn in the middle of your forehead. <laughs> and so it's important to know that if you follow directions, if you follow the importance of keeping things at a relatively cool, dry, um, dark environment right. then your chances of having medicines last long beyond their expiration dates actually are pretty darn good so that that is something that is very important now some people get their meds through the mail now if you do well you probably should choose overnight shipping whenever possible to avoid prolonged travel time and of course all the bouncing around oh. that your medicines will experience and being laid out in Absolutely. the sun and, or in the cold. Just think about our delivery, our uh, post office. And well, first of all, n- none of the carriers have their little cars, their little de- delivery vans. None of them have air conditioning. I know, and we're in South At Florida. All. The, so the actual transportation from the post office, which should be air conditioned in a steady environment, now all that mail gets put onto a truck. They do not have air conditioning on those trucks, and they're sub- subjected to whatever temperature it is outside. And for us, in the middle of summer, that's really, 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 really hot for our house. And right now, we're actually in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in our, uh, our fall home and our, our spring home. Mm-hmm. And we actually have weather that's cold enough that in some circumstances when it reaches a certain point then it could be damaged due to extreme cold right so that's something that's really important important to know you know there was even a 1995 fda study that found that your standard black mailbox i bet a lot of you out there have a regular old mailbox a black mailbox that can reach 136 degrees the interior of it due to the summer heat wow i think ours is dark green is dark green so yeah, ours be, is dark green so but it's dark so it would absorb all that heat Oof. yeah sometimes we pick up the mail and it, it's pretty hot absolutely and i just wanted to say when my mind was wandering when I was, was your mind wandering well, well, while before, i was giving nuggets of wisdom only, out not now not oh, this no. time <laughs> at the beginning when we had talked about the the bloom and the doom thing um i was actually thinking that you know not everybody is completely happy who actually voted for Trump. I think there's a lot of unknowns. And I I just want to make it clear that I don't believe that every single person who voted for Trump is elated. 
And I don't believe everybody who voted for Hillary is completely and utterly destroyed and distraught. You know, it was a tough choice, folks, and we understand that. And um, so it doesn't mean you're completely happy or completely sad at at this point. I think we're going to have to see what happens. That's right. By the way. That's where my mind was. (laughs) If if you want, I'll digress. By the way. (laughs) I'll digress for just a second to... To let you guys know out there, if you want to hear some of Amy's many opinions, of which there are many, (laughs) then feel free to listen to our other podcast, American Survival Radio, where you'll hear all about current events and you'll hear our take, our honest opinions on those subjects. But if you don't want to hear about those subjects, don't tune in. Because you might get mad. <laughs> oh, boy. Just listen to this one. Now listen, We're wh- apolitical here. <laughs> Moving back, I'm going to talk just a tiny bit about that uh, later, especially why we don't actually put up the actual episodes on doomandbloom.net, where we have our own website for that podcast, americansurvivalradio.com. But before that, I want let me finish this, this subject here. Okie dokie. I mean, if you go to work on a daily basis... Remember that excessive time in the hot sun or extreme cold on, you know, sitting on your porch, if these medicines are gotten through the mail, they can cause some drug deterioration. So, you know what? You should maybe consider sending them to your place of business where you can take possession of them personally and immediately. And this is most often your workplace as opposed to your home. So, just think about that in the back of your mind. You may not want to know let people know that you're getting a, a box or mail at your place of work, but this probably would be a good time to consider that, at least from a, a drug standpoint. Now, one of the questions I'm most often asked about drug storage is whether they really benefit from vacuum sealing. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that I've looked all over, there really doesn't seem to be a lot of hard data on this issue, and the I really believe that the reason for this is because even if vacuum packing works to keep drugs potent longer, why would the pharmaceutical companies care about that? I mean, drug companies want you to buy more of their drugs, and so they want you to toss them away the second they become expired. They want, the truth of the matter is, I just really believe deep in my heart that. The pharmaceutical companies really are really could care less if the drugs last longer no. or not. They want Why? turnover. They want you to oh, buy yeah. more drugs. So, Why would they want to extend the expiration dates? Then everyone will say, oh, I've, I've got these pills and I've had them for four years. But the drug company says they're still fine. No, 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 no. They want you pitching those, freaking out, and running to the doctor to get new ones get fresh ones yes That's yes right. we must have those fresh medicines <laughs> but the truth of the matter is on the other having said that on the other hand i would expect that more drugs would be vacuum packed if it was really important for them to maintain potency mm. in other words if there was any chance that those drugs wouldn't last at least to the expiration date even if they are maybe not stored correctly because not everybody stores their drug correctly. I think more of them would be vacuum packed. Now, some of them are vacuum packed, like powder packets sometimes mm -hmm. come vacuum packed. 
And and for that, I think it's not a bad idea. If you get your medicine in the form of powders, you know, put them in packets and and vacuum pack them might not be a bad idea. But in general, it's not an essential story. Yeah, method. I don't think so. Well, I will say it would be onerous on the pharmaceutical um, facilities to have to vacuum pack each and every one of our prescriptions because right now they just throw them into a little container and slap the top on it and a label. Right. So if you think about it, they would have to have vacuum pack machines to suck the air out. And the second you took the first pill, it would be gone. And the question is, if you keep it in the original container, Mm -hmm. once it has been opened, yes, then if you put that container and vacuum pack that contain the pills in the container yes. you might actually, i know how this will work you might actually push air wouldn't you no maybe further into the container no no whatever. what you have to do and i've and i've done this because i've packaged a lot of things that were pre-packaged um is you have to just loosen up the cap so if you folks really want to vacuum pack your pills do keep them in their original containers um you're going to have to mark the outside if you're putting them in mylar. You know, there's there's two levels to this. First of all, you have your clear um, vacuum packer um, container for your food saver, which is generally clear. I know I've personally tried to vacuum pack a mylar bag, and that just isn't working too well. But put them in the food savers, vacuum pack. Those are fairly clear. I'd say they're slightly opaque. But you could read the medicine label through that bottle, through the the outside package. Then you can throw those into a Mylar bag for the light. So if, if I was going to vacuum pack medicines, leave it in the original container, take the cotton out, loosen up the cap, put them in a food saver container, plastic container, Suck the air out. You got to make sure the cap's a little loose so all the air comes out. Then throw that package inside a mylar, and then you've got to mark the outside of the mylar with what's inside there, because now you're not going to see through the mylar. So the mylar prevents the light, and the vacuum sealing prevents the humidity. And now it's up to you as to where to store your medication as far as heat. So if you're going to go through all that trouble, that's what I personally would do thinking about it logically now some people will use desiccants uh, oxygen absorbers things like that and indeed a lot of medicines come with a little desiccant Mm -hmm. uh, in the actual container i would leave leave that that in there when you're vacuuming right now oxygen absorbers absorbers those are the same things that i notice with vacuum packing that it's hard to find hard scientific data that oxygen uh, absorbers are very important for storage and so i really don't see an actual proof Not, that everyone should be putting oxygen absorbers in their medicine containers as well so so there are a lot in like those mylar bags i there there are i see as many there pro are certain, as right. i see con well i think there are certain foods that that's probably more more important to maybe rice might be one of them and i've i've actually vacuumed packed right well with food is different right yeah so i wouldn't consider that an important thing here i would just suck out as much air as you can that gets rid of the oxygen and the humidity um then surround that by a mylar mark the outside with exactly what's inside of there and the expiration date because it's always 
good to know what's marked on the bottle and then put it in a cool place and don't forget about it for 30 years (laughs) (laughs) because I can't guarantee in 30 years is they're going to be any better than they would have been a few years after expiration date. So, but, but again, just reemphasizing degradation is not the same thing as turning to poison. I do not believe, and I, there's absolutely zero medicine on the market that when it expires, turns to poison and will kill you. It will not work. Sometimes, sometimes it'll work a lot less effectively, effectively, and it's something like an EpiPen, and my gosh, you need that to work right now, and, and 100% effectiveness, yeah, you might die, but you didn't die from the medication that changed to poison, it just didn't work, and so... You may have needed more of it. Or one that was just not expired. So your medicines aren't going to kill you. Right. It's mostly a matter of potency. The potency will drop over a period of time. That depends on the actual medicine. They found a bunch of drugs in a forgotten storage room in a San Diego pharmacy in 2012 that were 28 to 40 years expired. They Mm -hmm. actually tested them in 11 to 13 percent. No, 11 out of 13 medicines or the active ingredients in the medicines were still 100% potent. Which is incredible. I I found that to be pretty darn incredible. Absolutely incredible. But they were stored in dry, dark, and probably relatively cool conditions. It doesn't get that hot in that part of the the country, San Diego, I think. Right, right. So it's pretty amazing. Now, the important thing is store all your medicines, cool, dark, dry conditions, Especially important to be sure that any stored medications are always kept out of the reach of children. That's another really good, right. important thing. And a good reason maybe to keep your medicines in its, their original containers as well. Childproof lids are meant to help you achieve this goal. But consider taking them and putting them into a storage box. With and a, maybe that should have a lock. Absolutely. And especially if you're going to loosen the lid and vacuum seal them. Absolutely. You absolutely have to lock them away. Um, you know, you can overdose. When we say things don't turn to poison, that's not the same thing as overdosing. If you take, you know, a whole bottle of something, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing that isn't going to kill you. And there are a lot of medicines that when you overdose can be very deadly. So absolutely. keep medicine away from children. So important. Just like guns, just like everything else that could harm them. Keep it out of sight, out of mind. Don't even tell them it's there. Keep locks on it. Triple lock, quadruple lock, whatever you've got to do. We want to keep our children safe. Now, that's important. I do want to say that there have been, I'm sure you'll find all over the Internet, that tetracycline, once it's expired, will cause damage. There have been reports of kidney damage, liver damage from Using expired tetracycline, but that was from a very old formulation. There have been very few recent reports after they changed the formulation uh, two or three, uh, 25 years ago, I think. I was going to say, wasn't that back in the 60s? Right. The most, almost all of those were back in the 60s. Of course, any medication can have side effects. Any medication could have adverse reactions and small percentages of people Ibuprofen almost killed me. I had an allergic reaction to taking too much ibuprofen. It was hidden in one of the medicines I was taking. 
It was a combination pill, and I thought I was doing a great job by just taking regular ibuprofen in between. And my tongue swelled up, and I needed to go to the hospital and get a shot. And that was pretty darn scary. And that was ibuprofen. You don't think of that as something that could kill you. So an overdose of a lot of things that seem harmless can be extremely dangerous, folks. True that. More is not better. That's right. But the bottom line of all this, the Wise family is going to have a good medical kit. One of Amy's, hopefully. (laughs) Yes. And and a supply of over-the-counter and needed. Well, they're quality kits. And they are. Yes. And a supply of over-the-counter and needed prescription medicines stored safely Safely. in their home. Because they could just save a life in times of trouble. And remember, if you believe that something's going to happen that'll... Take us over the brink one day. They, they're not going to be making this stuff anymore. Have we so talked- you should stockpile some of these very important medicines. Absolutely. Now, have we told people how to get in touch with us? No. Hey, you know what? And that, that is so true. Oh, by the way, I want to, and, and speaking about that, yeah. I, anybody who has hard, any hard scientific data, any links to studies that I can take a look at, because I, I really would like to know more about this, and there's so little with regards to especially older drugs and how their effects on being stored other than the uh, shelf, shelf life, life extension, extension plan program. Right. program and especially about methods of storage there's very little about whether one method of storage is Well, I think my method of storage is, better, is the best. Uh, and and you, <laughs> indeed, it probably Loosen is. Loosen the top. <laughs> leave the desiccate in there if there's one. Vacuum pack that. And then put that inside Mylar. You don't have to vacuum pack the Mylar. You don't even, don't have to put an oxygen absorber or anything. Just put the Mylar. Now you've got rid of the heat. Mark the outside and then lock it up. And keep it in a cool condition, not the freezer. Right. I now, I will sure say this. That, not the I will, freezer. But I will say this, that I don't necessarily <clears throat> feel that you have to run out and buy a vacuum pack food saver necessarily no at the I'm present just saying, time if people, it is a way to do it yeah if people wanted to do that um they could do that i just don't have hard scientific data that vacuum packing will make a difference well i'll tell you what i'll vacuum pack something and 25 what, years from and now the, right and then I'm, but right next to it i'm going to put from the same manufacturer in the same bottle with the same label the same medicine right next to it and then we'll open it up in how many years? In in fifty years. Fifty years. In fifty years, if you have here. a headache, if we have a headache, we won't be here. No, you will. Years. You will. When you have a headache you in fifty gonna... years, ah! take two ibuprofen that you pack for fifty years and see what happens. Uh, or uh, <laughs> what you can use is take need, two aspirin. In fifty years, I'm going to need something stronger than ibuprofen. Yeah. <laughs> and what sure. you're going to and what and what you can do is you can put two <laughs> aspirin that you would vacuum pack uh-huh. and put it in the flower vase. <laughs> That you're gonna you know, put, you know, on my on your uh, grave. grave, yeah, <laughs> and and see how well the flowers last. I think I'm gonna give awesome. you a few graves because <laughs> there might be people who want to visit you in different areas. Oh well, that's. I'm gonna take awesome. your ashes and I'm gonna spread them out. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I, I'm. I'm gonna. Just share, me. I'm going to share you with the world. How's that? Well, just get a few. Oh, you body know what I can do? I can send little Ziploc bags to people who want some of your ashes. Oh, yes, that would be awesome. They can keep it with their book uh, that they bought. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, that would be a very interesting offer. Probably, <laughs> I bet no one's ever done that. I'll probably sell a few books. I'll tell you that much. 
<laughs> okay, enough of this silliness. My gosh. <laughs> what? How did we end up down that path? Well, we were talking actually about how much we learn from other people that we would like them to send us information. Okay. And indeed, we do learn as much from you guys out there that, as you do from us. So please connect with us. It's easy. And here's the beautiful Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Well, you can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group Survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. You can also follow uh, Joe on his personal Facebook page that we were forced to create. Thank you, Facebook dictators. Um, that one is Joe Alton, MD. You is can the also whole get a hold of Amy there. I don't know. Why, why don't you do your own page? Oh, how many pages do we need? Uh, the only reason I did that one is because... They took away Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and made it into public figures or something like that. That was our personal page. And then I had no access to our group. Remember, I couldn't get get a hold of our group. I didn't have a way to sign into our page. And so then I had to create a fourth account. Again, thank you, Facebook, so much. Well, join us on our Facebook group at Survival Medicine Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. We said that, that, yeah. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. Don't forget our YouTube channel. We actually have a new one that talks about um, the... New video. The fishy antibiotics, yeah. That's right. And I'll be putting up a video on storing medications, too, for you visual learners. And um, don't forget our current events podcast, American Survival Radio, now broadcasted nationally from uh, GCN, Genesis Communications Live, the Prepper Broadcasting Network, KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, the Voice of Lubbock, Texas, Texas. Radio, KRFE. Go, Texas! That's right, don't mess with Texas. Woohoo! And others, thank you so much for your support. You guys are awesome, and we appreciate your replaying our shows. Friends, <laughs> have you felt the joy and satisfaction you get from helping the elderly? <laughs> well, why not make an old man very happy? Me, by getting a copy of our brand spanking new third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, Now available on Amazon. It's got 700, I kid you not, 700 pages of all kinds of stuff, all sorts of news you can use in times of trouble. I guarantee you'll be glad you put us in your survival library. Oh, yeah. But I just wanted to say, with regards to our uh, American Survival Radio show, Uh I just want to say that we don't put up uh, episodes of American Survival Radio as posts on the Doom and Bloom website. We have a lot of fun with the show, of course. And we're glad for its success, especially being picked up by uh, land-based radio stations. But we just want Doom and Bloom to be limited to medical topics. And we want to keep politics and our out of it very no-holds-barred opinions off of our main website, Absolutely. Doom and Bloom. But you can still find American Survival Radio growing and flowing at americansurvivalradio.com. And if you're interested, we do have the links to the latest three shows on the right sidebars down in the middle somewhere at doomandbloom.net's main page. Now we're going to, ah, I need to take a drink of water, so we're going <laughs> would to. Would you like me to get you some water, Well, maybe? that would be awesome. I'm uh, happy. We are going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with the awesome, the amazing, <laughs> the beautiful Nurse Amy. 
who will, who will now get you some water. Some guy. Some old guy? We'll no. be right back. Some great guy. <laughs> Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. And we're back. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. The hostess with the mostess and that old guy. Well, it took me about a minute or so to wipe the drool off my shoes, (laughs) and I am just ready to go for the rest of the show. Yes, but I didn't get you water. I got you grape juice. Uh, Well, grape juice is good. For some vitamin C. Flavonoids, right? A lot of antioxidants. It's... Sounds good to me. I'm I'm very grateful that I'm up up and about and up up and away. <laughs> well, you know what? Flu season is here. Some cities are reporting a number of cases already. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, their director Tom Frieden, has done a photo opportunity showing him getting the flu vaccine. And sure enough, the by the way, the this year the injection is what's available. There appears to be some issues with the effectiveness. Of the nasal spray that sometimes used. Again, last year yeah. they had that issue. They have problems with that. They're just not having perfected year. that method of delivering that the kind of uh, treatment. So interesting. The Indeed, the CDC found that it offered no protection against the flu. Oh, good. For kids that were between 2 and 17 years old. And those are the people they were supposed to specifically target this nasal spray for right because so. kids are scared of shots i mean adults don't like them but yeah. we rationalize that it's quick and it's over very fast and it's not like you know someone it's someone's going to kill us with that shot that needle well okay there are people <laughs> who do think that those shots are going to kill you but the needle itself is not something you need to fear <laughs> i was so scared of needles when i was oh. uh young that at the age of 16 or 17, I actually had 
demanded that they remove a wisdom tooth without any anesthesia whatsoever. Are you nuts? I was That's afraid crazy. Of, I was afraid of gas. I was afraid of <sighs> needles. And so they removed they, they removed it. And it wasn't easy. Matter of fact, you probably have never seen this, but my dentist actually had his foot on the arm of the chair oh. pulling that tooth out. That's how nasty that tooth okay, was. Okay, well, I will tell you, when I was 16, I demanded general anesthesia. <laughs> demanded general ha, anesthesia. Wimp. Because all they wanted to do was give me gas, and I said, oh, hell no. <laughs> I made them put me into surgery and take, how was four of them? I wasn't going to go under gas. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it unless you give me general anesthesia oh but we usually just use gas is it not on me so when i was 16 i was already telling doctors what they couldn't couldn't do amazing <laughs> i wouldn't let them touch me but i had just had my braces off and i didn't want my teeth to get messed up because they were growing in sideways like towards the front uh, yeah they were going to make wisdom my teeth, teeth are crazy that way yeah, yeah they, they weren't going to grow in straight so i was like Mm-mm. and the funny thing is that later Knock on me in- out Later on, as an intern resident, I would put IVs routinely in myself, which is sort of funny. So anyhow, well, you know, we're talking about kids and uh, flu vaccines and all that business. But one thing we haven't talked about is flu viruses. And the usual flu viruses that you see are caused by influenza A and B viruses, mostly influenza A. But... A disease, a viral disease that we haven't talked about that causes a flu-like syndrome. I haven't written about it since the Ebola epidemic in West Africa in 2014. That's turned up again. And that is called the enterovirus D68 virus. And and that, I'll tell you, hasn't occupied, occupied space, certainly on the front page of a newspaper for some time. But... Um, If you remember, if you don't remember, I can tell you that exactly about two years ago, kids started coming to the hospital in a number of U.S. and Canadian cities with cold-like symptoms, struggling to breathe, and some, especially those kids that had asthma and other respiratory problems, actually died from it. I remember that. And now, right, and now... And the parents are going, my gosh, my kid just got sick, my kid just had a cold, yeah, it was a little serious... But now they're gone. I mean, that was a shock. Oh, it was hard. A it, real tragic. shock. Absolutely tragic. It and was now, a warning. And, and in 2016, now we're beginning to see this rare respiratory illness resurfacing after disappearing last year almost completely. And here's what you need to know about it. You never hear about them, but there are about 100 different types of enteroviruses that cause about 10 to 15 million infections in the United States each year. And that's according to the CDC. They're carried in the intestinal tract, and they often spread to other parts of the vi- of the body. And few of these can get so bad that they can send you to the hospital. Now, the season for enterovirus infections often hits its peak right around now, maybe October, September, December, uh, you know, November, December, uh, as fall goes into uh, fall goes into winter, uh, and what it does, it likes people that have immature immune systems. It also affects people with weakened immune systems. Some right. of the people are very sick. So what it likes is asthmatic kids. Now, in normal adults, if you get the infection, you probably won't even notice. Uh, there's no real cure like the common cold. The only treatment is to 
treat the symptoms like Tylenol for fever, decongestants for runny nose. But unfortunately, when the symptom is an inability to breathe, advanced respiratory intensive care is the treatment. And if you're in an area where there is no such thing available, at least near at hand, then things can get very dicey. Now, some researchers link enterovirus D68 with nerve damage, and some researchers really consider it almost like polio, almost like a, developing a polio-type illness wow. in which the respiratory muscles fail to function. It spreads just like the flu through coughing, sneezing, or close contact with infected patients. And because the virus affects North America during the back-to-school periods, health officials and school boards oftentimes send kids home with a warning and advice to parents. Now, the most uh, effective measures you can take to prevent, protect yourself and your kids are to wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds, uh, sing the happy birthday song uh, twice. If soap and water are not available, use a hand sanitizer. Wash your hands before and after eating, after you've been in a public place, after using the washroom, uh, after coughing and sneezing, after touching... Uh, surfaces that get a lot, you know, common work surfaces, let's say. Door uh, handles. Door handles, exactly. things like that. Uh, you should cough and sneeze into your arm, not your hand, because your hands wind up going to your face. You want to keep your hands away from your face. And also, it's common hygiene practice to do that so that you're not giving it to someone else. You could be coming down with something. You could be contagious. If you sneeze in your hand and then you touch all of these surfaces then other people could get it from you. And so, you know, it's just it's just being polite. That, that right. you might end up getting sick, but you don't want to spread it to everyone else. Exactly. Common courtesy. You are so right. That is important. It's a sense of social responsibility. There you go. There you go. So with flu season starting in much of the United States, we, we're going to review respiratory infections in general and some in particular and how to deal with them, we've got just a, uh, not too many minutes to go, to go in the show, but we're going to do some of it now, and we'll do some next week. Uh, even with modern medical technology, you know, you just can't avoid the occasional respiratory infection. In survival settings, it's going to be even worse because, let's face it, it's going to be hard to wash hands. It's going to be hard to pay attention to respiratory hygiene. It's going to be so easy for your entire survival community to come down with colds, influenza, even pneumonia. And although not all of these medical illnesses will kill you, they can certainly threaten work efficiency at a time when everybody has to be at 100%. Now, that's the thing. I mean, imagine how tough it would be to lug a five-gallon bucket of water from the nearest water source. Think of where that would be to your retreat in times of trouble. I mean, if you have the flu. If you have the flu, you're feeling terrible and that's what, unfortunately for your ancestors, what they had to do, rain or shine, and that's what you'll have to do if things go south. Of all our organ systems, the one that is most commonly affected by infection and other kinds of illnesses, are that involves the respiratory tract. There are germs in droplets that are expelled during coughs and sneeze uh, Situations They enter the nose, the mouth, the eyes of other people, and as a result, these infections are often just really highly contagious. Now, most respiratory infections are viral infections. There are a number there of bacteria. We'll talk about those. But let's classify 
respiratory infections is either being upper or lower. Now, upper respiratory infections involve the throat, nasal passages, the sinuses, and the voice box, the, the larynx. Now, lower, lower respiratory infections involve the windpipe, the bronchi, which are the airways that go from the windpipe down into the lungs and the lungs themselves. Upper respiratory infections are the ones that you'll see in the grand majority of cases. These include things like common colds, influenza, throat infections like, like um, sore throats, otherwise known as pharyngitis, uh, sinus infections, uh, and even things like laryngitis, although laryngitis is sort of on the border between upper and lower. There are kids that get something called laryngotracheitis, which is something called uh, also called croup, and this is something that I had to go through with my kids when they were young. They had this sort of almost whooping kind of cough. It was not whooping cough, but it, it had... It was like a severe form of asthma, and the more that they tried to breathe, the more more scared they got, the more difficult it was for them to breathe. And I had to spend so much time, I have to tell you, standing in the shower in steam in an effort to try to up, open up those passages. Passages, whether that helped or not, is really hard to say. But we'll be talking. That's one of the things that we'll be talking about, if not today, in our next show. And of course, at the end of all this, there is pneumonia, and we'll be talking a lot about that. Now, many of these infections present with similar symptoms, and you, if you're going to be the medic for your group in times of trouble, your family, you have to determine the diagnosis, and you're going to have to determine, determine it without an arsenal of lab tests, without x-rays, and all this other high technology that doctors have now at their disposal. Now, the most frequently seen respiratory infection is the common cold. It's more responsible for work days lost, school days lost in the United States, and any other illness. And the funny thing about colds, a cold is not caused by one thing. It can be caused by over 200 different viruses, although most of them are in what we call the rhinovirus family. The word rhino in Latin is nose, and of course it, uh, it clearly causes nasal congestion and you'll see not only nasal congestion, but one to three days after you're exposed to someone with a cold, with a cold, you'll see sore throats as well. You'll see coughing, a sneezing. You'll get might get a low grade fever, but it'll never get really high. And you'll get muscle aches, and you you'll just feel generally fatigued. Now there are a lot of viruses that cause symptoms that can be confused with the most common cold, and one of them is that enterovirus D68 that I mentioned. It's a member of the same family that carries the polio virus. Luckily, in most cases, grand majority of cases, it doesn't cause anything other than cold or flu-like symptoms. Now, influenza. Let's talk a little bit about influenza. You probably won't die as a result of getting a cold, but influenza is actually one of the great killers of modern times. It's been responsible for worldwide outbreaks called pandemics, the Spanish flu, quote-unquote, of 1918 was thought, was thought to have caused 50 to 100 million deaths around the world and was affected just about everyone. It had about a 2% death rate, and even though that doesn't match up very well with Ebola's 40 to 50%, the truth of the matter is, is that 2% of the world's population, that's a lot of people. And 
There have been, and these flu epidemics seem to come on a pretty regular basis. The swine flu occurred in 2009, Hong Kong flu in about 1969, uh, there was the Asian flu in 1957, uh, the Spanish flu in 1918. It, it comes every so often, and it, we, it's something we just have to deal with. Now, I'll talk a little bit about immunity and how that causes it in our next show i will say this that influenza is usually caused by influenza type a and they're classified and, and type b viruses but mostly top type a they're classified according to the proteins that exist on their surface these proteins are called hemagglutinins and neuraminidases and so h and n and that's why you see that certain uh, flus might be called h1n1 that's a swine flu, the Hong Kong flu, that was H2N2, and there are probably about 18 different combinations, although going all the way to H9N7, and in terms of way they, the way they are uh, termed, and that's because of these proteins that exist on the surface. They fi find a certain protein, hemagglutinin, and a certain protein, neuraminidase, then they find those on the virus, then that indicates how they are actually termed. Now, certain viruses are rarely seen in humans, like bird flus, but they have a high death rate. Luckily, today's influenza cases aren't usually fatal. The people who die from them are usually very young, very old. But any influenza virus, and this is very important, can mutate. Bird flu is almost never transmitted to humans unless they work in close contact with poultry, but if the bird flu mutates one day to pass more easily to humans and that's what they think Ebola did in the 2014 then it's going to become a candidate for the next great pandemic Zika also may have mutated in such a way as to cause more damage to human fetuses so think about that now I, I just want to say in the last few seconds that I have that with a viral mutation the effect on the human population depends on how different it becomes compared to the previous year's virus when a new virus is significantly changed, there are more deaths because the community hasn't developed immunity yet to that particular mutation. And a good example of that is the high death rate among Native Americans when they were first exposed to smallpox introduced by the first European settlers. Smallpox killed a lot of them, but the truth of the matter is, is that they developed a certain amount of immunity. That's all I've got, but we're going to be talking a lot more about respiratory infections next time. You've been listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. See you next week.